You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Shawnee Carruthers. A strong and sustainable economic recovery opens up more job opportunities and creates a favorable environment for businesses to thrive. This means that students have a wider range of career options and better prospects for employment. When investments are made in education and workforce development as part of the economic recovery, it leads to the creation of training programs and apprenticeships that match the needs of the changing job market. As the economy gets better, more access to internships, mentorship programs, and skill building initiatives, more access will prepare students to enter the workforce and contribute to communities. More and more, school districts are forming agreements with each other, post-secondary institutions, and business partners to reduce the time and funding required for students to enter the workforce. As we advocate for credentials, extended learner records, real-world learning opportunities, and intentional career pathways, this conversation is happening at just the right time. Today, I'm excited to speak with Michael Gonzalez, Executive Director of Rural Schools Innovation Zone, a first-of-its-kind partnership made up of five school districts and five institutions of higher education in South Texas that, like our new Pathways campaign, helps students find success in what's next. Hello, Mike. Hey, Miss Sonny. How you doing, ma'am? I'm doing great. So great to see you. Thanks for the invitation and a chance to talk about the Rural School Innovation Zone. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really important conversation for our listeners. But first, I want to just learn a little bit about you. Um, are you from a rural uh, community? Actually, Sonny, I born and raised in a community of about 438 students. So it's a pre-K through 8 school district. I was bused myself back in 1984, way before you, you were probably even thought of uh, being born. Uh, I was bused to my high school. So uh, it was about a 15-minute round trip, a uh, 15-minute one-way trip. Uh, to get to high school. So my community was, is, is very uh, high equal dis, you know, so our equal dis numbers are very high. Dropout rate was extremely high back in, you know, in the, in the early 80s. Um, and our community just didn't believe in the academic situation going forward, right? So uh, I've kind of taken a personal interest in, and, and, and a vested interest in rural education and, and providing opportunities for our kids because I graduated with, a, with the biggest cohort at the time in eighth grade of, of 18 kids total. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's what everybody tells me. Right. Uh, and hence, going forward four years, only four of us walked the stage. The other 14 were not in the building. They, they, they weren't they didn't flunk. They weren't retained. Nothing like that. They just completely dropped out of the school system, you know, based on having to get on the bus and those things. So, uh, you know, when I went to college, of course, you know, living that college dream, I want to become a lawyer. And then uh Dr. Floaters, my advisor, talked me out of becoming a lawyer and said, you need to become an educator. You need to go touch and impact lives. And so he redirected my vision and, 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 and my commitment to kids. Um, so I've been doing this for 32 years, the last five years as executive director of the Rural School Innovation Zone. Been a principal for 19 years um, in all rural school districts. Uh, my biggest campus, I guess, was about 385 students. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm really committed and invested in, in, in the practices and the, and the successful practices of giving opportunities to our students in, in rural America. One, thank you for sharing that your, your why is deeply personal, uh, which even, you know, explains why this innovation zone came to be that we'll talk about in just a second. But if it seems like your, your pathway experience was not the kind of pathway experience that you are now trying to create. Uh, no, not even close, Masani. It's, it's it's a situation where, you know, even even the whole entire idea of me going to college was crazy. Uh, and I I dropped off my best friend, which was my which was my cousin, 
at an all-female school in San Antonio. And my my uncle, may he rest in peace, wanted to have a dip cone, right? And I'm like, you don't want, you can't buy, there's not a Dairy Queen in San Antonio. Well, we found one on 36 and Culebra, which is right next door to St. Mary's University. And being an avid baseball player, I had to go walk that field. And that's how I got started at St. Mary's University um, back in 1988, just because my uncle wanted a dip cone. Uh, so it, you know, it's just crazy, right? It's crazy, you know, the the, the turn in advising and, and, and guarding the interests of, of our kids at such an early age. You know, now with CT, you're going down to sixth and seventh grade orientation and principal classes uh, to make sure we have a, a good idea of where our kids want to be. You know, I was 17 and halfway smart. Uh, you know, I thought I was doing pretty well in school, but I had no idea and no guidance on what I wanted to go do. My mom and dad, bless their souls, you know, they were high school graduates, but my dad was a career welder, you know, and he didn't want me to do that situation. He didn't want me working out in the sun, you know, 24 seven, you know, for, for pennies on the dollar. Well, now my welders don't make pennies on the dollar, but that's besides the point, right? Uh, so it's just a different situation. And, you know, coming back home in, you know, in the home in the coastal Bend area in, in, in deep South Texas, it gives me an opportunity to shed light on some of those things and some of those experiences that we've all had to to share. And, and through the the blessings of the man upstairs and, and the guidance of very innovative superintendents like Steve Van Matry, uh, Dr. Maria Rodriguez Casas, and Conrad Cantu, and our local board members, I've been given that opportunity, you know, to, to impact lives, you know. And so it's it's, it's a really great situation. Um, and you know, our data has proven that it's been a successful model. It's been replicated. Um, at least two different times in the state of Texas, and there are other models around the nation that are that are taking our model and run with it. You know, so it's it's a good situation. Uh, I feel very comfortable where we're at, and I, and I look hopefully that things like this, the getting smart podcast and getting a chance to talk on a national level, kind of gives us the exposure that we need to make this a more sustainable model uh, for future endeavors. Yeah, and you and you mentioned career and tech ed CTE, um, which is just a really great segue into how the zones came about and the need, because as you know, CTE can kind of go through a cycle where <laughs> sometimes the country's really high on it and sometimes it's not. And oftentimes, and I'm sure you fought this around changing the narrative around who CTE is for and, and who it is, who it isn't for and the benefits for all learners. And and then, um, and which is why I'm also so glad that Talk about starting even earlier. It doesn't start in high school. How you know we have to get students connected to those kind of opportunities um, at a much earlier age. And so, with you know your understanding of all of that and your your why so so seeped in into creating those kind of opportunities for students, is that where the zone project came from? Like, how did that get started? The creation of the zone, Shani, it's, it's a very interesting story. Uh, it's uh, it, it stems around Premont Collegiate High School and Premont ISD. Uh, Steve Van Mitchy was a superintendent in the spring of 2017, um, came in, uh, in in a pretty turbulent time. Premont had not met state accountability standards for nine consecutive years. Uh, two closure letters, uh, dramatic drop in attendance. Uh, and he and I, I like to say, we're cut from the same cloth. We're both, you know, ex-coaches, social studies teachers, rising principals, and 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 really have um, that passion for impacting kids, you know, in 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 a wide variety of ways. And he pretty much told me, you know, you know I'm not going to go into the exact detail of how he told me this, but because uh, we're both again ex-coaches in, in his individual truck, so it, it's I'm going to give you the politically correct version that my my master schedule was pretty horrible, 
and we have very limited opportunities and options for our Premont High School students. So he had um, a, a, a phenomenal relationship with Freer ISD and Mr. Cantu, the superintendent of schools over there, and, and a great relationship with Dr. Casas at, at Falfuria. So he started a handshake agreement uh, between those two school districts for Premont students. And it was just really Premont kids trying to take advantage of some situations around us, right? Well, so the support of Texas Education Agency, which is our local state agency, and, and the Brain Trust, and, and you know, the three superintendents got together and started really collaborating formally and, and started realizing that we could actually share all of our resources uh, going forward. So the Rural School Innovation one, the Rural School Innovation Zone, a 501c3, was, was formed uh, to be the, the in-district charter managing entity. Uh, and I, again, I was pretty fortunate that I applied and, and was selected as being the executive director of that. So it, it gave us the opportunity to share our resources and the things that we did really, really well, and our kids to take advantage of those things. So for example, for Furious High School, Brooks County ISD has, uh, every one of our school districts has a, a career pathway academy. So for Furious High School has what we call Ignite Academy, which is our traditional CTE pathways. We have a P-TECH model in welding. Uh, we have electrical pathway, we have a construction pathway, we have an HVAC pathway, and we have a heavy equipment operations pathway. We also have our NJROTC uh, military pathway. It's not really technically a pathway, but it gives our kids an opportunity to be involved in the military component. Uh, we very have a high population of, of veterans in our in our community, so they were really excited to see a military academy opening up. Um, and then you go to Premont, a little a bit north of Farfrees High School, and we have our STEM Discovery Zone, which deals with our cybersecurity, our drones, our robotics, our engineering uh, campaign. And then we do our dual credit science and math through through STEM. And then we have our, our Grow Your Own Educator Academy. As everybody knows, we're huge shortage in teachers uh, and those things around, you know, around the nation. And if you look at the numbers in rural education, you it's a significantly higher number than, you know, than the urban and suburban school districts for sure, especially in the specialized areas of science and math and those things, special education. So we felt what better way to help populate our pipeline and to bring our own kids up, right? And, and start teaching the way we, we teach our own kids. And our, our school district has done relatively well. We scored Bs in our state accountability system across the board. So we're excited about what we're doing there. And then you go an hour and 15 minutes west of us, uh, west of Premont and Fowl, you have our Next Generation Medical Academy, which is a health science academy, where our kids graduate with EKG, uh, phlebotomy, patient care tech, and certified medical assistant certifications. So, um, that's how we started sharing kids, right? So we it came it came to a point where um, the Health Science Academy is probably our most diverse academy. Uh, it's it's like a 38, 31, 32 split between the three school districts. Uh, we just added two brand new districts, Benavides ISD and Aguadulce ISD. They've uh, incorporated our curriculum and our academy situation within their their schedule, so they're taking advantage of those pathways. So we're impacting five different communities and four different counties based on what we're doing with the Rural School Innovation Zone. So uh, so we're, we're doing some of those things that uh, people tend to not look towards, right? And so we're, we're impacting a lot of different lives, a lot of different ways, and our kids are running with it, and our communities embraced it, and um, the state agencies have embraced it. We've even passed a legislative bill, House Bill 2209, that's incentivizing our rural collaboration uh, this next school year. So we're, we're excited about some of the the streams of money that's going to come in, and you know, being an XCT director, money unfortunately it it, it, dri it drives us right. It drives situations to to provide supplies and materials and resources for our kids, 
It's also going to make us competitively. It's also going to make us competitive uh, salary-wise, because you know, as well as anybody else, our, our welders, our electrical guys, they make a lot of money in their profession. So to come in for one third of what they can make out there in the real world speaks volumes about their 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 commitment to our kids. So we can raise the bar a little bit as far as pace concerned when we start collaborating and getting five school districts to pay one person. So you started with about the power of like superintendent collaboration as part of the, the kind of one of the, the pivotal points as to how this innovation started. Um, because, you know, it's not easy, but when people come together, um, change can happen. So I want to learn just a little bit more around the zones and the benefits of it. And just like a little bit more of the process components, you know, for people who may be interested in creating a zone in their areas and why they should. Not a problem. Um, why they should, Mashani, there's, there's a lot of things. So I, I guess, you know, it, it hasn't been a bed of roses at the beginning. It, it's, 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 it's always change impacts a lot of different areas and a lot of different people in a wide variety of ways. So the original uh, district vote uh, of the three districts, Brooks County, Fremont, and, and, and Freer, when we first started the in-district charter, the 501c3 situation, because as an in-district charter, when we first started, it was incentivized by the Texas Education Agency, uh, our state agency that oversees our, our, our educational system, uh, by giving us a, a grant, a $2 million grant. So there was some money tied to us doing an industry charter situation. But what that meant was the superintendents were giving up control, you know, in theory and, in, and, in, and, in, and on paper, uh, were giving up control of their campus. Right. And the autonomy was based on the shoulders of Mike Gonzalez and the Rural School Innovation Zone. Being born and raised in South Texas, I knew that wasn't going to work. I knew I couldn't come in and, and run roughshod over a school district that had an elementary and a junior high that also had a component of that school district. So very fortunate enough that I knew all three superintendents pretty well. You know, so we worked collaboratively and, and we made decisions together uh, that impacted their district. And then we made decisions collaboratively that impacted all three districts within the zone. The, the process to um, get a zone up and running, uh, again, starts with collaboration from the, from the, from the, the higher echelon, right, with, with the superintendents and the local board members. Um, I would definitely um, suggest, highly suggest, that the creation of a, of, a, of a zone would mean you hiring a local champion. And I learned that through uh, Progressive Policy Institute invited me up to a salon dinner in Washington, D.C., I never knew what that term actually meant until they, they, they described it to me. So um, I kind of run with that phrase, right, of a local champion, somebody that understands the, the local communities and, and, the, and the region and what it has to offer. I probably couldn't do anything for you in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, except maybe talk to a couple of people and try to shed some light on how to, how to run things. But as far as doing what's right for kids, I probably wouldn't be very good uh, as ex executive director in Kansas City, Missouri, where you're from or where you're stationed at. But I think I understand our coastal bin area. I understand what, what, what we need to bring to the table and those things. So that to me is a, a crucial situation. I would also suggest that you come in with a team. Uh, if we could do this all over again, it would be a team of three. Uh, it would be an executive director. It would be an IHE, uh, Institutions of Higher Education, and an LEA, a local district a liaison that understood the ease, right? Because IHE language and LEA language sometimes doesn't, you know, doesn't mean the exact same thing. And then I would hire a zone counselor. I would hire somebody that understood how to construct master schedules that would take advantage of the maximum opportunities for, for each and every 
campus and district that was involved in the zone. Uh, because unfortunately, you're not going to change the mindset sometimes of, of the local leaders in running a very traditional 50-minute, 55-minute uh, schedule, eight periods a day, yada, yada, yada. If we could do this all over again, I would uh, package up a, a group of three and we'd sell the we'd sell the binder of uh, this is the program that we're that we're selling, and we go from there. And I, I will tell you, Miss Shawnee, you know, you being an XCT director, I, I think no, I know for a fact that the rural school innovation zone model is scalable. I think you can pack and play. I think you can pack it up and open it up in any local area, our rural school area in in the nation, and and impact uh, kids' lives for the for, forever. You know, but again. You know, it's hard for me to say that, right, because I'm the, one, I'm the one doing it down here in South Texas. But I really feel passionate about that. It's something that we can definitely do and market around the whole United States. And I'm, I want to circle back to that in just a moment. But first, I just want to focus in on the intricacies of what you were just describing around, like, the master schedule, because that's that's a real thing. <laughs> Especially when you're, you're dealing with all of these different homeschools where kids are coming in and out and consistently moving. And the right in the center of that is the transportation. And so how does that work for you all? What does that look like? But it's like Disneyland. So there's always a bus, van, or suburban going in and out of school districts. Um, Ignite in Falfreas probably has the biggest uh, cohort of kids. They, 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 you know, it's, a, it's our biggest academy. Um, there, there is a bus, van, suburban dropping kids off on the hour and picking up on the hour. So um, it's very coordinated. Uh, it's very, it's very meticulous in what we're doing and making sure that our, uh, our academy schedules align as best as, you know, as, as best as possible. Four of my districts, uh, outsource their transportation. So it, it's, it's a really neat situation because we basically show them, give them the schedule and they got to make it happen. Right? That's their contract. One of my districts is, is an old school district. Their, their maintenance guys are their bus drivers. So it's, it makes it pretty difficult. So I, I, have to, I happen to have a very good relationship with the transportation director. So we sit down and make sure that, you know, the maintenance guys are still getting their 40 hours plus their, their, their break, plus their lunch and those things uh, and doing those things. So um, it's a lot, but we, we made it work. Um, your, your, situ- or your community is very rural, um, but then there's always this rural versus non-rural and helping people understand like what's the difference, what stays the same, what changes. And so how are rural pathways different than non-rural? Are, are they the same? Are they different? What has to change in order for that, for what you're doing to continue to work in your communities? Well, p- pathways are outlined through our, you know, through our, our state educational association, right? That's part of our curriculum going forward and what our kids need to get. What we've done is, you know, we've, we've, surrounded ourselves with, with experts in the field, right? So our technical assistance team does a phenomenal job of making sure that we're making all the great decisions. So, you know, we do the labor market analysis. We do all those wonderful things to make sure that our, our specialized academies, our career pathway academies are aligned to our regional market needs. So right now, minus our military academy, it's, hard, it's really hard to gauge military situation and the need or impact that the military academy would have. But the other four... Um, Academy we have are in the top five of our labor market analysis in our region, right? So uh, our next experiment that we want to look into is going to be law enforcement is one that we have not uh, partaken in, but it is in the, in the top 10 in our region. 
And now with school safety and those things, I think we can kind of get the pipeline going and create job opportunities for our kids in the local areas. Because again, going back to the original concept of the zone, what were we doing well and how did that align to what, we're, what we want to get done? And I, and I think that's important because unfortunately, especially in Texas, in our area, everybody does welding, you know? And so what makes our welding program and file different from the welding program in everybody else's, in everybody else's uh, district? We hired the industry-based uh, teachers. So we're in a better spot right now for our freshmen going forward and making sure that those opportunities are, are better and more available and, and ready and readily available for our kids. Well, I really appreciate the intentionality around um, one, finding the best talent, because like you said, it, it's not easy. Um, it seems as if you all are really having some clear conversations with people coming from industry around the need, um, the ways in which they are giving back to learners to be student center and the balance that they as individuals are able to have with their own families. Um, and so that, that feels like it's being really effective, um, in, in a season where it can be hard to, to find that sort of staffing. So that intentionality is, is really key. And it also sounds like, you know, in addition to you, you all being really student centered, you all are really community centered as well, because, and I don't want to misspeak, but it feels like the goal is for you all to provide these opportunities for students to stay within the communities in which they love. That well, and you look at part of your question was the difference between rural pathways and suburban urban pathways, right? And like I said, I started with there's really no difference as far as the pathway is concerned. It's the opportunities within the pathway that I think is a big difference. So at the, at the same time that I'm trying to create opportunities for our kids, I'm also trying to create a mindset that we we can build better individuals going forward, right, within the context of our community because. And that's one thing I guess I didn't allude to, you know, in talking about uh, our specialized academies. Our kids are transported for free to, to each school district, but they get, they get to come back home and represent their community. You know, on, on Friday nights or Tuesday nights, they get to wear their grandma and grandpa's school colors and numbers. That doesn't go away. What we're trying to portray is no matter what your school color is, you get a chance of the same opportunities all the way around. Is in this work, and this is this whole conversation has just been a really good reminder of how school or learning I won't even call it school sometimes because that is a building and that's not the goal. <laughs> but learning sits in the intersection of any community and it transcends school colors and competition, rivalry, etc. And it's just around about showing up for learners and the value in that, and even more important, how when. You take educators outside the, the quote unquote traditional learning spaces and then put them back into the lives of students and build those relationships that amazing things can happen. So I just really appreciate having this conversation with you today and um, being able to, um, you know, really walk through what this looks like for our listeners um, who may be considering the same. Um, and and again, just a great reminder of all things education. So thank you, Mike, for, for sharing all your thoughts with us today and for all you're doing for learners in uh, Southern Texas and beyond. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, 
mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.